Welcome to RPG Ramblings with Jeff Jones. This is a quasi-weekly show exploring the various details of the tabletop RPG hobby through discussions with interesting people. Today, Matt Thomas of Critical Hit Parader joins me. Matt has found a creative niche lying in the intersection of RPGs and his love for music. We all know that these two great tastes taste great together, but it took a catalyst to make that happen. Matt is that catalyst. Morning Alert! This is a very rambly episode full of music discussion and sporadic doses of RPG musings. The stadium is filled, our guitars are tuned. Sisters and brothers, it is time to get rambling. Hello, Matt. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for having me on. Well, thanks for joining me. Uh, you uh, have been putting out a, a uh, I've been noticing a newsletter, the Critical Hit Parader, for, for a while, and uh and I think you've you found this intersection between uh, music and role playing games. Yeah, and I think a, a lot of people um, sort of spend time in that uh, intersection. And uh, I've been passionate about both uh, RPGs and music for basically my my whole life. And uh, I had kickstarted a, a zine. I'd wanted to put out a Blue Oyster Cult themed adventure that I had written and uh thanks actually quite a bit to listening to rpg ramblings and hearing all of your guests who have kickstarted things and created zines it uh got me inspired to actually publish it and so i did that last year and i wanted a way to communicate to people who had signed up for the kickstarter so i had started the newsletter just as a way to support communicating to those people and then that turned out to be kind of the thing. Um, so it was a thing to support another thing, and it has turned into largely the thing. So each week I send out a newsletter with uh, different things that I have found or want to comment on or share or promote that involve both music and tabletop role-playing games. Well, it sounds like things would happen in a different order than I would have assumed. I would assume that the that the uh, newsletter came first, and you're like, yeah, finally, I guess... Yeah, I need to finally put out a publication, but you did the publication first. I did, yeah. And, and everyone, you know, sort of conventional wisdom right now on promoting anything that you're doing is to start with something where you can collect email addresses, right, and do a yeah. newsletter. And um, But, no, I kind of backed into that, uh, again, just looking for a way to communicate. To, I didn't want to spend any money, and I wanted to uh, be able to reach people and uh, – so the, the the newsletter was what I really just stumbled on. Yeah, so it, it takes, I mean, as you found out, like, it, it is, it takes a lot of different things to come together to make a publication. And I guess it, I guess the question was, like, what was your journey like going through that? Yeah, so it, it started, um, I, mean, I created a uh, a journal that, just said BOC RPG on the first page. That was what I put on there. And uh, I had had some ideas of doing something Blue Oyster Cult related with role-playing games. And I just started journaling a bunch of ideas and I've been researching some things. And ev- ev- eventually that turned into uh, an adventure. And I had created the adventure for Dungeon Crawl Classics and thought and, and played it with a home group and said, well, I, I want to uh, publish it. And that's when I was really listening again to, to your 
podcast to uh, watching the Scrivenry things that Trevor Stamper yeah. has done and and learned about what's actually involved in creating something for publication. So I, when there was a an affinity sale uh, where you could yes. get, the, get, get one of the ones they periodically do and I could purchase the suite for a cheap price, I did that. And um, I, I have a background in my early part of my uh, career. I, I was a technical writer, so I, I had familiarity with early desktop publishing tools. I had used FrameMaker and PageMaker uh, back in the 90s. And uh, so the learning curve wasn't too steep in terms of using the tools, but, um, you know, f- figuring out what I needed to do to further play test the adventure to, to make it better. And then what what's hit me very early on is that I, I didn't want it to be just in the format of a traditional zine. I wanted it to lean into the music part and I did it in the format that was a parody of vintage music magazines uh, that I grew up with. So things like Cream, Circus, and Hipperator, as you can guess with the with the name. Yes. And so in addition to the adventure, it has things like a um it has fake ads um for things that parody either things you'd find like in Dragon magazine or in comic books or in guitar magazines. It has um some profiles that are satires of like what cream magazine would have so instead of cream profiles there's a crit profile and where cream had the boy howdy low um sort of mascot and did these very um sort of deprecating to the band's profiles we did something that was for loot the body the band and but did it with more i think i think more with humor but with more love than probably what cream uh would have done um and and so and so things like that there's a letter to the from the publisher that is a, I don't think anyone's caught onto this, but it's a almost word for word parody of the first issue of Rolling Stone um, with what um, Jan Wenner had published there. So I'm sure people read this thing and, and think, boy, whoever wrote this is crazy because it, it, it's in the middle of the magazine and you, it, it sort of doesn't make sense without uh, kind of understanding the origin. But I put a lot, there's a lot of Easter eggs and jokes for my own amusement in the publication. So it ended up taking me longer to really put it together and uh, um, do artwork for it. My, um, my oldest kid is a, is an artist. So I commissioned them to do the, the cover art and a few serious art pieces for it. And then I did the amateur art myself and uh, we put it together and then I had to learn how to do a Kickstarter. And again, you have many episodes that touch on that. And so the, you know, learning what was involved there. So you're ready for that long bathtub, uh, low point of, uh, of the grind. Yeah, it was exactly how you, uh, you and your guests have described it. So yeah. it was, it was exciting the first day. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then it was a, uh, there was a lull and, um, you know, I'm not a, a super active social media uh, person by nature, but, you know, trying to do at least some promotion, uh, um, Goodman games was really supportive of it. And, uh, any success I've had, I've probably owe a lot to them as well because they, uh, promote any of the third party things. So I went through their program and got their, um, right. their blessing, which is a, a very easy process, um, to go through. And, and then, 
they would include the Kickstarter in their emails to their customer base that they do. Uh, they had me on one of their Twitch shows and uh, interviewed me for that. Oh, so nice. It was, yeah, they were just so, so supportive and other creators who've done things for uh, Dungeon Crawl Classics all kind of came out of the woodwork and offered to help me. And uh, it, it was, uh, you know, the, the community around that company is is just very positive, very supportive. And and, and that would, it, it really kind of got me to writing the game because I, I'd been playing Dungeon Crawl Classics, the pandemic happened at the, around the same time. And so I went to some online conventions that they were hosting during the pandemic and got to meet people. And it was just so um, welcoming across the board. I, I was playing games with my uh, kids that we signed up for. And so they're having folks of uh, a variety of ages in there. And um, again, just so welcoming to all of us. Um, hearing that we had just kind of discovered the DCC game and uh, were, you know, looking to play games during the pandemic. Everyone was fantastic. So when you approach this, this is what's interesting, is you you had an idea that you wanted to do a zine, and you had a vague idea that you wanted somehow Blue Oyster Cult to, to somehow be part of this. And then the rest of it was just, Journaling until you got enough ideas and things solidified. You're like, oh, now I have enough things. I can see an order in what I've got. Is that how that? I happened? think so. And and I and I would say I didn't even think it was going to be a zine necessarily at first. I I really didn't know what it was, uh, what format to put it in, or even I I had a an initial idea that maybe it could even have been um, a blue oyster called themed game um, with a set of game rules. Uh, there, uh, for folks who aren't too familiar with the band, part of the, um, throughout their discography, they've done a project called the Imaginos Project, which is a um, very, um, it's a, it ultimately came out as a concept album. It has things that involve alternate history, H.P. Lovecraft, conspiracy theories, alien um, uh aliens coming to the earth and, and changing history. So it's a very rich story. And I had been working on some other things just for our own gaming amusements that were, you know, somewhat alternate history, historical stuff. So I, yeah. I kind of thought I'd go there, but then as I started researching it, kind of got a different idea where with, with an adventure uh, that again was kind of inspired and by their uh, lyrics and, I, I'm, you know, this is the first thing I've published as a uh, role-playing game publication, and so I'm uh, I'm nobody, and I have no credentials and and no credibility in that field. On, on the music side, um, I do have some bluish to call credibility and and have um, uh, more confidence in my knowledge in that area. Right. So I'll say, well, I'll at least, you know, it's not going to be just cowbell jokes, right? Like it'll be something that um, <laughs> that you know the folks who are fans of the band and also play role-playing games, they will appreciate the, um, the music part to it, um, sort of independent of any quality of the role-playing game content. Yeah, and I think that's just it, too. I mean, it, it, 
when you had to do something, I mean, and especially like you've mentioned, you've, you, you've taken on roles that you never had before as far as like doing layout and, you know, so forth. It's, it's, there's a certain amount of vulnerability. And uh, sometimes that's what hangs people up is not willing to be put something out. That's not in a way that, uh, that they may, they may feel, uh, well, I don't want to say show negatively, but they're just concerned about, you know, things not being right and being judged in a negative way. Yeah, no, there was um, many moments of fear throughout where, you know, you kind of get to that point where, okay, am I going to chicken out of doing this um, out of my (laughs) fear of being humiliated or am I going to put it out there? And uh, fortunately, I kind of got through each of those uh, crises of faith through it, but, you know, and, and, you know, I'm still like fearful that, you know, 10 foot pole is going to review it and uh, it's going to get uh, uh, torched. But uh, I, I tried to, you know, um, I've played role-playing games for, um, you know, since 1979. So I'm, right. I'm not, I'm not new to creating content for role-playing games. I've always done lots of homebrewing and playing and things like that, but it's a whole nother, level to actually publish it and to create something that somebody else is going to um use i i had uh no no hubris in thinking i knew what i was doing from that standpoint yeah and i think adventures are the next level harder um it's one thing to just put out a bestiary it's one thing to put out you know various articles and npcs but an adventure that's that's a different thing altogether because you can fake it as a gm but when you're trying to give material to somebody else to run, you know, and making sure you cover the things that they'll need, that's that's difficult. Yeah, and and um, and I didn't have any experience in that, so I was again very dependent on outside resources. There are a lot of things I've met. I read a lot of blogs. I read the Goodman Games, you know, how to write adventures that don't suck. I yeah. um, listened to, to podcasts. And um, so it, it, as much as I could, just try to absorb the best practices. Um, but, you know, I had to make it my own as well, right? And, and kind of satisfy what I was trying to do. And um, I wanted something that at least I I wasn't going to be embarrassed by it, that if this is the only thing that I ever did that I could look back on and say, you know, I, I, I did my best and it met the goals that I had for it. And, um, I, I think I did achieve that. I, I'm not embarrassed by it. I, I did, I did achieve the, the goals that I had for it. I think it's, I think it's good. I, I think the rock magazine parodies are funny for my own personal sense of humor. I don't know if other people would get the same enjoyment out of it, but for a certain type of, uh, Sense of humor, I think it's on, on the mark. Yeah, G.K. Chesterton, I think, believe said something to the effect of if anything worth doing is worth doing badly. And uh, not the idea that you should not put effort into it, but, like, it's okay. You know, it's something that you just need to do. Yeah, I, I, th- I think that's right. And um, I I took to heart, you know, I, I didn't, you know, I finished it before I kickstarted it. So I, I tried to avoid the things that would really trip me up. Right. And, and yes. uh, cause a lot of other problems. So I, I um, again, thanks to your, a lot of your shows, I avoided some of those. You know, I'm glad cause I, I've, I, I still sound that, that, that warning bell to, to people because I still see that happening. 
And it's like, don't put yourself in that position. Yeah, I, I really, you know, I'm very thankful for everybody who backed it. And, um, you know, everyone that backed it took a chance on buying something from somebody who had never sold anything in this industry before. Um, and I'm just so appreciative for that. And I did not want to let anyone down who took that chance on me. Um, and so I tried very much to under promise on yeah. the descriptions of it to have it done in the first place. And um, other than printing it and to um, I, I hope I over delivered on what their expectations were. So have you heard back from people from the books that have made it into the wild? Have you counter people? Yeah, I have. And, and um, people have been, um, exclusively positive about it. I don't know how my, you know, you, the, um, folks who haven't reached out to me may, um, maybe those are the ones that didn't like it. So I, I, I don't, uh, um, I realize this, that, that those yeah, who yeah. took the time to say something are probably, uh, feeling positive about it. And I really appreciate again, the feedback that I've had through them because I started the newsletter during the, the Kickstarter. And, you know, at this point, there's almost 60 issues of that. That has connected me with people, you know, initially it was probably just people who signed up for the Kickstarter that subscribed and then it's kind of slowly, but surely there that's it's grown. And I I've received just a lot of, again, kind of the, the positivity in the community has really touched me, frankly, like, Everyone's been very positive about the newsletter um, and about the the zine and very encouraging and have said nice things. I, I you know, I started a uh, corresponding or a companion podcast for the newsletter, the Appendix LP podcast, and people who I've invited have said yes, which <laughs> blew my mind to be on to be on there and. Uh, it seems like there was um, people were excited to talk about music and gaming. And uh, again, I'm, I'm just so touched by how warm and welcoming everyone has been in this community. Yeah, it's, it's, it is interesting because, you know, I, I, similar, it's like, you know, we think of big names or different things, but this, it is small enough and people that are involved, they're passionate about what they do. So it's, it's um, right. It's, 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 it is kind of amazing. People willing to give up their time, but we're all, it makes you realize everybody's at the heart. We're all fans. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm pleased to be part of it. It's, 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 um, it's, it's been an improvement to my life over the last um, year. I, I think, I, you know, I, I can, say I've made friends through doing this project. I've, I've uh, increased my, uh, the amount of friends that I have that I talk games and uh, music to, which is fantastic. Yeah, I don't know if you found the same thing, but I think as, in general, as we get older, it's easier to become more of a recluse. And you can kind of see this trajectory, like I don't like where this is headed. <laughs> it's like... Yeah, and it's not healthy, right? So yeah. um, there, there's a lot of health benefits to not being full-on recluse. Uh, uh, and, you know, when you get to the certain stages of your life, the um, institutional things that you're surrounded by that pre 
are likely to provide friendships can go away. So right. my, my, my children now are all grown. So I, I, I'm not doing, you know, things where I'm meeting other parents um, through their activities. Well, you know, when you graduate from, you know, stop going to school at whatever point that happens, you, you, you're, you're not meeting as many friends. And, you know, my, I, the, my regular gaming group, I've got, you know, two of the people that I play with, we've been playing since middle school. Um, oh, that's and great. We play online, one's in Switzerland, one's in California. And uh, it, it's a way that we've stayed. Right. You know, it, it gives us a reason. It's it's so easy in the busyness of life and work to go long periods of time without connecting with the people that are important to you in your life. And having that regular game session ensures that we don't go too long without uh, connecting and we we start each one where you know we talk about what happened during the week we we always talk about music anything we've listened to that uh, we want to share any concerts we've gone to or new you know new albums we bought and uh and, and then we play games yeah it's and i also think too i've i found that people that that i at least with other creators or creative types that that there's also generally other areas of intersections that we have things in common where it's like a random person at, you know, you know, whatever it may be, uh, there's less of likely that's going to happen. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Cause I've observed the same thing, but I, I don't know why. <laughs> You're just weird. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. Uh, it, it's just like, a lot of places I just don't fit in and I don't know why I just, I guess sports don't interest me. I don't know what, I don't know what it is. Um, but then I find other people are like-minded. It's like we can talk on a number of subjects and for long periods of time. I think what could be, I think we also maybe, well, I don't think I've maybe not thinking about, I think I like Trevor Stamper because he's probably one of the, one of the, a very interesting person. Uh, but he's got other pursuits that are that he's passionate about that are outside of maybe the normal. Like same thing with you and music. And so I I think people who are able to um, have a discourse about things that they're interested in is uh, is I think more engaging for for people like us than to I don't know. Once you talk about the weather and talk about work what's left you know it's like... right right <laughs> it does seem like it's sort of the the amount of maybe passion and excitement to talk about the hobbies that are maybe the part that's in common because you know i have you know some of the um people that i game with or talk with you know we we all have the gaming in common and and there's other things that often are in common like the music and that was you know certainly uh, something that I had noticed, but some, you know, some do like sports and some do like, yeah. you know, some are really into movies and some aren't into movies as much and some play video games and some don't play video games as much, but it seems like for all of them, there's a, a level of uh, interest in, in kind of going deep into those interests and, and sharing them and talking of, about them. So I don't know if it's maybe that that's sort of the passion about it, you know, being into I probably got this more from music than from games, but um, because I listen to a wide genre of genres of music, 
I've found that I can talk to lots of different people about music, sort of, they don't have to be in my, they don't have to be my age, they don't have to be, they don't, they don't have to like games, they don't have to have the same other interests, but it, it improves my own um, confidence. Um, so as a introverted person, being able to have a conversation catalyst around music and I've been in uh, in my um, professional career and things where I need to do a lot of, um, I had to do a lot of selling, I've had to do a lot of marketing, I've had to do a lot of meeting of strangers and, and uh, pitching things to them. And I found that, you know, talking about music was a way to have a conversation that I was com comfortable with. Uh, and we find some area I, I feel like for everybody i can find some right there's a touch on that about. everybody almost everybody likes music to at least a certain degree and everybody knows at least a handful of popular artists that you can even if you don't love you can also talk about that's right that's right and and um when i i, I for part of my career i was doing uh training courses and 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 you know you do icebreakers for those training courses and a great icebreaker that I found was what was the first band or music uh, musician that you saw live? What was your first concert? And through answering that question, you almost always got a story, right? Like there, you'd learn something more about the person, right? Like how old were they? Who did right. they go with? Where, where was it? And if you're meeting people who've grown up all over, you know, in places all over the world, you'd, you'd learn all kinds of different things. And, um, and then you'd hear about, an artist. It might be an artist that you knew, might be an artist you liked, might be an artist you never heard of, might have been an artist you don't care for, but you'd hear about that first experience. And uh, I found that people, that's one that people would really be willing to open up about. Yeah, I didn't think about it that way, but you're right. And I think, um, you're right, those concerts are the a first concert, even though I don't necessarily, I'm trying to think about my first concert, but it is generally for most people probably especially if they paid money to go to it and they're all hyped and energetic or they're just there on a date and, uh, and it just was like, no, this was not cool, but, you right. know, but, my, but, but I ended up getting married to this woman later on. So it was worth it or whatever it may be. You're right. It, it does. I think it is in a sense, a, I won't say a milestone or a maybe it's a touchstone that many people have. It's yeah, beyond I just the mundane, whatever. Yeah, and I've even found, you know, some people get embarrassed by that because I think they feel like their tastes are going to be judged or they've changed their tastes since then. So it creates a little bit of vulnerability, but not a, and probably too strong of vulnerability. So it's like a, a first uh, way you can open up a little bit and then, you know, you're kind of, you're seeing how the person reacts and can you continue to be more vulnerable after that? And I found, you know, quite a few times, it'll be a little bit sheepish as they're talking about that first concert because it might be something that they feel, I don't know, isn't cool or that someone else wouldn't like. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of, I would imagine it's no different than, maybe we're less embarrassed, but like movies that we thought were absolutely phenomenal when we were kids and then we watched them as adults and you're like, I just wish I had never watched it again and left it as perfect <laughs> to my memory, but now... I've seen it, and it has just diminished incredibly. 
yeah and that can be tough too right like when you've uh especially like sharing something with uh the next generation so for for my kids right i'll i'll be yapping away about some movie that i thought was you know was it was formative to me and was great yes. and then and then we'll go watch it and you know there's they're like you know, dad what are you talking about and i'm yeah I'm ha- and i'm having the same experience so i did I my what son, i was thinking was said with halloween as he's want to watch 80s horror like oh, halloween would be the one to watch and and then he's watching in the other room and i came by and occasionally with the music i'm like this is bad the music doesn't fit it's just this is just not good <laughs> <laughs> but in your memory yeah but, but you know going back to shame like I remember my first album was like Captain Tennille you know, Muskrat Love and Bay City Rollers and, and at one time I'd have been embarrassed by it but it's like now it's it's fine <laughs> yeah yeah I, I have no guilty pleasures whatsoever I feel I do not feel bad about any anything that uh, that I like so have I, you I, been that way all the time or have you just reached an age where you're like who cares um, I, I think, I mean, I had to have been more sensitive to it, right? Like in, in like high school, but I always liked a really wide variety. My, my dad, um, he was a singer in the early sixties. He had a, a band, uh, called the Chessmen that was in, um, oh, yeah. the Seattle area. Not if there's, there's multiple Chessmen. So oh, so this is early '60s in Seattle. Okay, they they cut 145. They had TV appearances, and they were um, a basically a doo-wop um, group. And he, he would um, he 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 had that band, and then you know once he um, he got recalled back into the army and uh, various things, and he never went back and did um, you know had a band again. But we would always drive around in the car on Saturday nights, and the way we called it was listen to the oldies. And it would be listening to the music that he had listened to, so largely 50s um, music. So things like doo-wop, uh, early R&B, um, things like that. And then, uh, then AM radio was sort of what we would listen to right. the rest of the time. And so all that 70s AM radio, which was pretty diverse then anyways, right? There, You know, you got significant amounts. I mean, you, you had disco and country and pop and rock all kind of on, uh, even had like some jazzy instrumentals that would, yeah. uh, that would, that would be hits. And so... You know, I th- I think I was pretty open minded. It, it, in 1979, I got turned on to, I would say, contemporary rock music in a serious way. Like I got really into it. I had a friend whose older brothers, um, you know, were going to concerts, and we heard a, uh, about all those things. And I started to get serious about it. That was the same year I started playing Dungeons and Dragons, and so th- both of those things kind of imprinted on on me that year and uh, go hand in hand. But, you know, throughout high school, I I would listen to metal, listen to punk, listen to blues, listen to, um, you know, uh, 60s music, 70s music, 80s music. And, uh, you know, even then found it was a way, you know, to be a geeky kid, but that I could talk to 
sort of all the other people in, in other cliques within the school, you'd find the, you know, I, I, it, there'd be someone who you normally, you know, wouldn't be your, someone you'd be hanging out with. And then they've found out that, you know, Oh, you really know, Oh, you know, Iron Maiden or whatever the yeah. the, the band is. And you have this deep conversation and now you've kind of crossed your, uh, crossed your clicks. Yeah. Our, my school is very, very small. And that really was never quite a thing. I think there's probably people who like the, the real pop stuff. There's some people who like country and there's people who liked, uh, the rock and, mm. uh, and there wasn't much crossover. There, there really isn't any much nuance to it. I think over time I just tend to just got kind of bored with just hearing the same songs over and over again. So I just started diversifying. So on your own. Yeah. Well, yeah, just like, and I find out to, now today, like people can listen to the same 80s hits. This is like, I don't know, this is 30 years is like, I, I can't imagine every day turning on and hearing the same music that I was listening to in high school every single day for us. Like I just, it just boggles my mind, but some people find enjoyment in it and it's fine. I don't, I don't, but for me, it's like, this guy doing something different. <laughs> Yeah, it's. I mean, uh, uh, it's fairly common, right, for people to not um, change their tastes and music from what they listen to at ages where it's pretty impressionable. So that you know, your early teenage years often is the music that people like the the best, and and it's kind of a cliche, right? People will sort of talk about you know music these days and things like that, and um, although the music industry has changed tremendously um over the years the amount of quality music there's still tons of great new music yes out there. people say blah 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 about music being no good these days or there's no and i'm like you have to be extremely lazy <laughs> that's right you have to be extremely lazy to not search out and find new music in whatever style it is that you like yeah, the means of production have changed, right? So, so um, because the barrier to entry has gone down, there's actually more of every genre. I mean, oh, uh, yeah. that that in whatever niche that you want to find, and 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 bands can produce high quality recordings with at a lower cost and can make their own videos. So, spending any time on YouTube or Bandcamp or anything, I mean, you you can find so much. So much great stuff. I know, I know. I, I just, I just find it perplexing. Uh, but I think uh, people just, uh, many people would rather complain than actually put the effort in. Yeah, and I, it probably tied to just your. I mean, there's a little bit of that in all parts of life, right? Like, so as as the world changes, uh, you know, that's it's hard to as you get older to navigate all that change, and um, you get to choose your yes. attitude about that, and you can. These Jeez. kids are ruining my D and D. That's right. Well, we, there's a lot of parallels, right, between um, that sort of approach to uh, both gaming and music. Yeah, and I just find it perplexing. You know, like take Taylor Swift. I, I've listened to a couple albums, and she's fine. But I just I never understood the the amount of like anger towards her for being successful. It's like. like it's very strange. <laughs> it is very strange. 
people's enjoyment of her doesn't diminish my love of anything that I listen to. I don't understand. In, in the same way that their love for games that you don't play doesn't yeah, diminish exactly. the, your love of the games that you do play. Yeah, and I found that, uh, not a plug for YouTube, they should give me money, but I switched <laughs> over. Um, I had um, I ended up getting YouTube Premium for uh, because I uh, they had a discount, and I was uh, for three months, and I just didn't like ads for my YouTube videos. Do you use YouTube Premium? I don't. Um, so uh, uh, Brendan LaSalle um, from Goodman Games, yeah, um, was on the podcast, and he, and he has uh, recommended it to Ooh. me. So I've been, I've been thinking about it. I, I do use Spotify. I have a lot of problems with Spotify, the company, um, right now. So but at least Google's ethical. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's really hard, right? Like, and Bandcamp, which I use a lot and and really love, and the, you know now they've been sold twice in the in the last couple of years, and so it's very. I feel like you're uh, making uh, compromises with any of my technology choices. Yeah, that is true. Uh, that's what it comes down to, right? So, if, if you have no ethical qualms with Google's uh, being unethical, they've got this thing where you can choose artists that you've listened to, pick any number of them, and you can choose either standard or discovery, and you can choose the wideness of, of what it casts. Mm. So, you could pick twenty artists, one artist, hit whatever variety and and that you want, and how far it goes out, and it'll take you on a journey that I've not. I had Apple Music. It won't do. It's just, it's strange. Like, um, um, who's the Travis? I forget the country artist. Uh, Travis, uh, Randy Travis. That's who it was. Okay. I was going to guess Travis. Yeah. All of a sudden, I'm listening to Randy Travis. <laughs> like, how did I get here? And then I start thinking back all the songs. Like, oh, I see how Google took me here. And it was kind of interesting. I'm like, I guess I'm okay with it. I hated it back in the day. But now I was listening to it. It's like, yeah, it's okay. I don't know why I was so angry about it. I guess it was country, but it's just, it's just kind of interesting because it can take you on a journey that you're not expecting um, in a way that seems kind of organic. Yeah, that's great. And, and again, you're, you're finding stuff you wouldn't have, wouldn't have known about before. I, my, my to check out list is always so big. And since I've started the newsletter, I get people recommending me things even at a bigger rate. And I, I, you know, I subscribe to a lot of music newsletters and, uh, and then I'm just, you know, constantly searching. I have a lot of friends who are, sort of big music geeks. And so my list of bands to check out is never ending. And uh, that's exciting, right? Like, I, I, um, I'm, I'm so glad I know, you know, you never know when you're going to get turned on to something that's your your next favorite thing. Yes. Yeah. Like Gangsta Grass. Who knew I needed a Gangsta Grass? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. Is that is that your thing now? Well, there's a group called Gangsta Grass. They took <laughs> they took rap and mixed it with bluegrass. And you're saying those don't go together. And you listen to it, it's like this was meant to be. <laughs> this is the oh, way. That's excellent. <laughs> I'm gonna have to check that out. Yeah. So you have really good bluegrass uh, uh, vocalist and uh, and and instrumentalist, and then you have two guys doing the rap part. And it's like and then you start thinking about it, it's like well. They are both folk music. That's right. And, and it's just like, you know, you think you're hearing, it's like, oh, this doesn't make sense. And then you listen to it, you're like, this makes complete sense. <laughs> For, across things like that, there's almost always way more things in common than there are differences, right? Like th there's, 
um, yeah. between different genres of music, but people focus on the, the differences. Yes. Um, but there's way more things that they have in common. So like, I, I never really was, there's a bunch of bands in the nineties. I, I didn't really listen to, but I was listening to, um, it was a, there's a group that does covers, but they do them in, um, in like forties or fifties style postmodern jukebox. And I think it's a, I can't remember. Give it up. No, give it. It's a, it's a red hot chili song, chili pepper song. And so I listen to it. Then I listen to the red hot chili peppers and I'm listening to it. And it's like, wow, this almost sounds like a, there's a rap influence with this. Oh, interesting. <laughs> you know, there's something about the cadence. I don't know what it is, but I just thought it's funny how some people, and I was never a big rap fan, but it, but it, it does have an influence in ways that people don't realize. And it's like, you're right. There's a, and then all this music, there's an interrelationship and when people start doing weird stuff with it, you realize there really isn't, you know, technically that much difference, I guess, in a lot of ways. Yeah. And, and you know, for like folk music and rap music, right, the, 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 they have in common is that the lyrics matter. Yeah. Um, right. That's, it's an it's a important part of the style of music. And um, even just even just that um, is is interesting and 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 sort of culturally the importance of the music well it's usually i think people it's about people in that are a lot of times in situations like the lower social strata singing about you know the situations that they're in that's right you know so it's just yeah, like and <laughs> so, and and blues is like that right and, and oh right uh, right so many things came from you know out of out of blues but I think it's interesting how, like, some people have derision towards certain things, but in the end, it's like, but it's probably influencing the music that they're listening to now, and they just don't realize it. Yeah. It's all people trying to communicate the human experience and make their yes. lives better through music, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I think with a lot of things, I, my, so my son and I had a discussion about art, you know, and, and he's got a discussion is, is there, uh, for the class was, um, is there objectively good art and bad art? And I was like, well, then you really have to ask the question, is there such a thing as art? And mm-hmm. uh, it's like a thing with music. It's like, it, it really becomes a very subjective thing, you know, uh, I think. But sometimes it, it's the test of time is a lot of ways of measure. And I think sometimes with us, myself, there's things I don't like, but after like hearing it like seven or eight times, I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> It's like this is pretty good, really. Yeah, some things some things take exposure, right? You have to you, you're you're especially if it's something that's different than what you've heard before. Your brain doesn't have the buckets, the categories to put it in, so it yeah. can't fully process um, what it's listening to. You know, it, it um, there's certain styles of music that took me um, a while. You know, so something like death metal, which has you know something with extreme vocal styles. Yeah. I, I, you know that was an acquired taste. Like when I first heard it, um, I, I couldn't process it because I was only focused on the harshness of that vocals. And, you know, uh, people would say, you know, the cookie monster vocal style and things like that. And I just, I didn't get it. I didn't get it. Right. Um, but then, you know, uh, sometimes you need sort of the gateway drug bands that right. have something else about it that, um, make it palatable to you. And then all of a sudden you realize, Oh, I'm now, you know, kind of goes through the 
now it no longer bothers me and that now I'm enjoying it. And now, and then, you know, eventually you're appreciating nuances and differences in the style where it all sounded the same to you when you were first exposed to it. Yeah. And, I, and one of the things I exposed my son to was uh, uh, Yoko Ono doing a performance. And I'm like, is that art or is it not art? I don't know. Is this music or is it not music? I don't know. Is it good or is it bad? I don't know. I know I don't like it. Right. But, right. but there may be things about it I don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and I think it's hard to... Uh, I'm, I'm not that into sort of the, the academics of it, right? It's, it's enough that... Um, it has an effect on people and I don't necessarily need to know the, the, the words or the theory behind the effects that it has. And I may not understand and it may have an effect on me that's different than it has on other people. So who am I sort of to judge? <laughs> um, again, I, I, I'm very, right. I, I like, I'm uh, I'm a music fanatic. I'm not a music critic. So the thing when I write about music, or um, I'm a frequent panelist on the Contrarians YouTube show, and we talk about music uh, all the time. And I'm looking to talk about the things that excite me. I'm not looking yes. to <laughs> rain on someone else's parade and talk about what I. And it's just I'm just not into. I, I don't want to spend energy. Talk about things that I personally don't care for. No, no, I agree. <laughs> I agree. But I will tell you what I do enjoy, and I find myself stuck in these uh, YouTube uh, scrolls, is, is, is people that do different kinds of analysis. So one guy would do one on instruments. There's another one I was listening to, to people who do the, um, who are like uh, vocal coaches. And they'll analyze. So I could not really care a lot about a song or whatever, but I'm, 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 I get fascinated when, even I don't fully understand all that they're saying, but it's, they start breaking things down. It's like, you know, you start realizing it's just not somebody just getting up and just singing. Like there's a lot of thought. Yeah, that's right. And, and uh, yeah, so I'm like a big fan of like Rick Beato's um, YouTube channel where you know, he's, uh, you know, what makes the song great. And yeah these deep dive interviews in terms of how people, you know, you, you get a, a, that's sort of the positive role of a critic, which is that they can provide additional context and expertise that um, they can communicate to you in such a way that you gain more appreciation to how the artist went about doing it or wh why they made certain choices. So there, there is a lot of positivity around the role of a critic when they're providing um that sort of contextual additional information that can increase your understanding or appreciation of the art, but just hate on something I'm not interested in. No, no. <laughs> and I, and it, it is, like you say, there's just, you know, as we get older, we only have so much more, you know, time left on this, on this earth. Why, why, I guess, do I, I guess some people get joy out of being angry. Uh, and maybe that's something I should just recognize. Yeah, that's sad to me, but it's yeah. uh, but it's it's true. Uh, so yeah, life's way too short. I, it, so 
to me, it's about, um, you know, play is an important word for me, right? So play the games you love, play the music you love and, and do both with the people you love. And, uh, that sort of, uh, adds a lot to my life. Yeah. I I was listening to a podcast. They were talking about the, um, the, um, rebel moon, the, uh, the TV, we'll call it movie that was on Netflix, uh, which I did not care for, but as they were talking about it, they were looking at it from a role-playing perspective. And then they came up with this theory that this was an actual game taking place and we're watching it happen. And they explained all the goofiness in a way, well, because at the table this happened. And because of the table this happened. And this person was gone for this session. That's why they're not here. <laughs> and it's like... Oh, interesting. <laughs> and I'm like, and they were able to like do this whist and they took something I really did not really care for, uh, and they made it like a very fun thing. And uh, so, it, it, you know, kudos to people who can 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 also do those types of things uh, as well. <laughs> yeah, that's really cool. And then when you you know, and I like like sort of theories about things that mash things up. Like even if that's not true, true whatever true means. Right. But if that was not sort of the intent of the creator. Um they just created their own art, right? By making those connections right. and describing it and putting it a different frame to, to watch it through. They, they made their own art for it, which is phenomenal. Yeah. I wouldn't say it encouraged me to watch it again, but it, but it, it, uh, but it is kind of fun where it, it kind of made me almost, almost want to watch it again. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> anyway, yeah, I agree. There's, there's enough. So you say you're looking for bands and you have, uh, and also you, you look at intersection of music and game. So what's the lens that you're looking for when you write your newsletter? Uh, um, so I would say there's multiple lenses. I, I, I'm personally more interested in the way that the music that people listen to, how that inspires their gaming. Um, there's a whole thing right around where you've got music that you're playing dur- during the the games. Right. And, you know, so like dungeon synth music or just anything that you're, you know, you're going to play the song that the bard's playing at the bar or something like that, or mood, mood music for those different things. Um, that can be fun, fun to do, but I'm a little less interested in in that part to it. So I tend to focus more on the music that um, inspires whatever about the games uh, that people play. So I have this concept of Appendix LP. Um, so we're, um, of course, Gary, Gary Gygax yeah. um, had his Appendix N of the um, sources of literature that inspired him and uh, and Dungeons and Dragons. I think of uh, an individual's appendix LP is the list of music that either inspires or enhances your own gaming. It can be as simple as just gets you in the mood to play, or it could be that it actually, you know, you're, you're, there's something about that song or that lyric or that video that sparked your imagination that, you know, it can be, you know, like you're making a character and you're 
kind of thinking, oh, I'm, you know, oh, it's kind of like David Bowie, right? So you yeah. just kind of have that in your mind. Or it could be that that this album cover, because that's something that games and music have in common a lot, is the artwork is is very important to the fans of those genres and can really enhance the enjoyment of both music and games. And uh, for a lot of the fantasy artists who did artwork for you know the, the novels that inspired games and that have um you know then done artwork for the games themselves also do album covers so there's a, so I, I do spend quite a bit of time in the newsletter kind of covering some of those artists that have appeared in both um and, and then just I, I i love finding uh things where certain musicians also like to play games and so there's been um you know, I think more recently, there's more contemporary artists who will talk about how they do play role-playing games and that they'll talk about the ways in which one has enhanced the other. So, um, you know, bands like the Mountain Goats, um, John Daniello, you know, talk about sort of the, the way in which um, music has enhanced his gaming and gaming has influenced his music, right? So there's truly a, an artistic intersection there. I love that kind of stuff. So I'm always scouring to uh, find more, um, more artists who, musical artists who play games and, and where they'll, where they are talking about that intersection. Yeah, I've, I've, I didn't really think much about musicians playing. I know there's a lot of, to be said about, you know, movie and TV celebrities, but, uh, and I don't know, and maybe it's just, I haven't, you know, I don't read a lot of the interviews or magazines and such, but I don't know that really that much of other than I like, say the mountain goats I've heard of. Um, but I don't know many are bandied about like, you know, like some of the other, um, movie stars and such. Yeah. I mean, you got to search for it. So I, I, um, it is definitely less, you know, probably uh, Tom Morello is probably, the most well-known person who speaks quite a bit about how he played Dungeons and Dragons as a kid, plays Dungeons and Dragons now with with one of the more well-known Hollywood groups, right? So he plays with Joe Angiello and um, yeah, and uh, um, the Big Show, the wrestler, and the creators of Game of Thrones and that that whole group, and and he's. Um, speaks more frequently about the gaming side of things for someone who's a pretty well-known musician. So I was listening to, I was reading, I, uh, um, there's an essayist named D.B. White who wrote Charlotte's Web and various other things, but he wrote during his life, he used to write for, I believe it was the, uh, I think it was the New Yorker. And um, he did say, he started up a, a small farm and it was during World War II, and then they they listed all the things like people had to list their skills. And farmer was on there, but writer wasn't. And he says it's really kind of ironic because here I am on a farm, but I am not. I don't have like the skills to be a farmer. And he goes, "There's no area for writer." But then he says, "But but nobody's just a writer. You only can write from your experiences." And that you, you know, I, I can't remember. But he might have even said, you know, that that 
maybe it is, there is no writer, like that's a profession. It's just, you have to live life. And I think probably the same thing with the role-playing games and the music. It's like, you can't just create, music just doesn't come about. It comes about through experiences and thinking and feelings and interactions. Uh, they don't, it just doesn't occur in a vacuum. So I could see where I could definitely could uh, do that. Yeah, and that's interesting. And that, um, that makes sense to me, that, that quote. And some forms of music is a younger person's form of music, right? Like, um, and has maybe more um, passion than experience in forming. Yeah, I used um, to be upset the albums, I get like the Sticks albums. Why are these slow songs on here? Why would they put any <laughs> slow songs on these albums? That was just a waste of space. Obviously, they're just filling it with stuff they just didn't know what else to do with. So, yes. <laughs> so, so now when you go back, so if you were to listen now, do you have a, um, a more mature appreciation or does, does Sticks well, slow I, songs? Well, I realize that, that you have to have the slow to enjoy the fast. I do enjoy slower songs now, but... It's like with movies. You can't keep things ratcheted up to 10. Right. That's why Avengers Endgame works is because not only do they have the pathos, but they also had the levity. And they were able to mix the humor and, and the really deep emotional stuff in a way. So it was an overall more effective movie. Removing the humor would have not made it a great – it would have been a, a not good movie. Right. And so from the, the – the, sounds like the music – yeah, um, analog to that, right? It's just having that the the pacing, right, and the and the dynamics that come from having rockers and slow songs. Yeah, and so that's why you know I'll, I will you know when I do my musical mix, I will throw in some you know you know maybe Glenn Miller gets thrown in there. You know, it's just like you right. know it's okay. You know, it doesn't have to all fit, but sometimes you just you know need to chill out a little bit with some with a clarinet. It's okay. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you don't want to hear a clarinet. All day long, but you know what? It's 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 got its time and its place in the whole in the whole uh, menu of, of options that you're going through. That that that's right. And time and place for everything, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You um you mentioned sticks, and I, I it makes me rethink one of the answers I gave earlier, which is that have I always been that way where I was open minded? And I would say and now I'm flashing back. And I'd say I, I no, I would definitely wasn't because I can remember where there were bands that were not cool to like and that I would participate in uh, some of that mocking yeah. that you would do. And so um, at a time where sticks was for the, some of the f- people who are into the heavier type of music, I definitely remember writing sticks stinks w- with a Y for the S T Y N X on the, uh, our, um, you know, grocery bag covered textbooks. Well, I hope that was only in reference to uh, Mr. Roboto. Mr. Roboto. It was probably the Mr. Roboto time. Okay, I can, I can, but I can, right, I'm okay I, with that. I like that song. <laughs> I, I, um, I, I saw, um, um, I've ne- I never saw Sticks the Band live, but I did see Dennis DeYoung live and I did see Tommy Shaw. Um, they were just Live, both, both great people, but just they didn't get along, and they had different visions. And they, it's unfortunate. Des Young is a genius, and Mr. Obama obviously stuck in everybody's head. I don't mind it. It's just, but but he also knew you couldn't, you can't stay still, right? 
<laughs> yeah, true, some, some true that, that's some true progressive rock um, mentality to it, right? And um, meaning progressing, right? Like so, not not wanting to stay still, and some careers have benefited by not being progressive. So where classic rock is still, you know, as a touring entity, right. bands do better by playing the nostalgic. Yeah. Is regressive, but um, yeah. that, that probably I would think sort of tears a little bit at the artist's desires to progress. Well, so I was, so Billy Joel, I really am more a fan of seventies, Billy Joel. I was listening to a podcast where they were covering uh, him, and what I didn't realize was how he continually reinvented himself in a way that stayed just above the curve. And the timing and what his choices were and what he was doing, and I realized after doing that and also listening to how, like, you know, we wonder why a band can't stay the same. That sound, whatever that is, is only like lasting for two years and it moves on. Mm-hmm. Even the grunge band, the grungy, lasted for like two years and they switched to pop. I mean, mm-hmm. it was, it, it is a moving target if you want to stay, you know, uh, successful to, you know, the, whatever the current, you know, appetites are. Yeah, and and you need your fan base to move with you, and, and yeah, if you're moving yeah. in such a way, you may move faster than your fan base, right? Yes. So even though the contemporary style then might be what you're you're staying current, but do your fans right? Like, uh, there's a you know if if Billy Joel and I know he went through a period like up until very 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 recently where he you know he said he had, wasn't going to write any more yeah. new songs, and if he had continued to produce you know maybe he was writing songs he's just not putting them out but if he were to continue to progress as a musician i'm sure there's a large part of his fan base that still just wants to go see him play piano man and yeah exactly and not move with him right <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i mean it, it, i think the thing is why well, i may think that new york state of mind is the highest form of billy joel that can ever exist except for maybe a couple other songs uh, the fact of the matter is, is he's a brilliant man who who did some amazing things to keep going where he was going and wasn't satisfied with just playing the piano. And they said that actually the piano part playing was only a very short amount of time. He started introducing synthesizers and, and all sorts of other stuff. The piano went, may have always been some piano, but that went away a long time ago. But mm-hmm. we still always associate him with the piano man, even though that was only like a few years of his history. Right, right. And for and for a while he kept the same band, right? Even against some record company pressure to uh, change folks. So I, I know he had, a, I think, a rough, ultimately a rough falling out with those folks and like Liberty DeVito and people like that. But um, you know, I think if for a while he was able to like really have a band, right? It wasn't just him yeah. on the piano; it was, it was a band. Well, you talk about changing. It's kind of interesting because I, you know, I was thinking of, uh, you know, the biggest one was fans not progressing with the, with the artist would be, uh, you know, Bob Dylan going electric. Right. Oh, gosh, yeah, yeah. So Newport, right? You can, you can hear the recording, right, and hear the, <laughs> the negative reaction. Yeah. But I'm thinking, you know, that's, that's the same as uh, D&D 5th edition or whatever edition. <laughs> yeah. It's Bob Dylan plugging the electric guitar. You betrayed us, Bob. 
Yeah, so 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 when, when did D and D plug in? Like, when, yeah. which, which version did D and D plug in? <laughs> That's hilarious, and and it's so like it's so hard because I I, I did not live through that right. I wasn't um, right. I, um, I can't understand how that music was viewed as radical to his original fan base because I'm only coming at it from the future, right? Like what, what changed, but at the time, I, I guess it was uh, some sort of betrayal yes. of the, of the uh, folk music principles to. Yeah. It's out to the man, I guess. I don't know. You're right. It's, it is strange because really even electric guitar at that time and Mr. Been around that long as far as, uh, you know, if, I guess it's been around for quite a while, but it's, it's, it is strange why, I I don't know. It's it is odd, but <laughs> and just around the corner, right? I get you know, then r- rock became the music of the revolution, not folk yes. music. So he you know he he was ahead of his time in terms of understanding. I don't know if that's why, but like in the um, social change music, then became what was uh, after that folk generation was really rock music, right? That, that, that 60s music that came later. Yeah, and I think sometimes it's it could just be as simple as, you know, an artist just saying, yeah, I've already done this other stuff. I just want to try this for a while. Or it could be, it's like, you know what? This is where the money is. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't. <laughs> and, and even, you know, you even if it was doing it, I guess, for the money, I, I, and it could still be, that doesn't invalidate it, right? Um, no. Um, if, if, you know, I guess if you're only doing it for the money, maybe it does. But, um, you know, I'm not sure anybody's hearts are 100% pure. No. No, and I think the two, it's it's really, you measure what it is that's being, you know, put out, not necessarily the, you know, the intent, you know, as far as what's quality and what's not, what endures and what doesn't. And, he still has a legacy, so. Oh yeah, and and I mean, he he is someone that generations do rediscover, right? So, um, he uh, he has a better chance than than most of still being listened to, uh, <laughs> yes. for a while after he's gone, right? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, and I think yeah, and I, I do find it interesting that for somebody that and I've I've enjoyed uh, Bob Dylan for a long time, but like. For having just this kind of uh, nasally annoying voice, it's amazing. <laughs> like, it still just carries. I don't know what it is about that that still resonates. Yeah, and he. Um, so many books have been written about him, right? He's influenced so many musicians that came after him. Other musicians think he's really important he you know not too many like he's viewed as a, po- a true poet yeah right so and and you have that within every sort of generation but they're not there's not that many right like so you go you know you've got dylan and then maybe like you know letter cohen and then you know i get you know i guess this all depends on your taste right so I'm, right but but you know like patty smith and lou reed or something like that and then um, you know, there's, it seems like just within each decade, there's sort of a few that where the, there's a 
a broad acceptance of their lyrics as being poetic and important. Yeah, so I did a was, was Patty Smith's album was it horse wasn't horses what was the name of it uh, horses one of them horses yeah. so I listened to it. I really didn't care for it um, but she was pretty sharp and, and it was pretty good I am reading a, a, my I was calling my daughter in law she's not uh, married yet to into the family but she gave me a Patty Smith book. And uh, she is really good writing. She is really, really good. And she starts out with the the quote of uh, that she had in a dream that it's it's uh, it's hard to write about nothing. And so she's writing about nothing, and it's just an interesting book. But it's you know, but you talk about poet. I mean, the, the person's writing this these stories. They don't necessarily have a connection, but they do create a feeling. They don't necessarily have an ending, mm-hmm. uh, but it is an interesting trajectory you're being taken on. And it's like, so even though I may not care for music, it's, you're, it goes back to, yeah, you're right. These people are poets, and they are very crafted, very good at their craft. Mm-hmm. Even if I think Bob Dylan's nasally, I can say, yeah, he's a good poet. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> no doubt about it. And, and I, you know, would it be him without his voice, right? Like a, Right. Um, he, he's, uh, you know, there's something to be said for, um, you know, there, there, it's a different skill. Like, so someone who's who is a poet and is then delivering their own songs, that's a certain effect, right? And that's different than a, that's a different form of art than a singer who's an interpreter of somebody else's words, right? Like, there's a um, that's a different. It's a I don't know if skill's the right word, but it, it requires a different approach to the art than that. And um, Well, I, I guess it depends on are they performing it or are they like trying to find a connection in trying to maybe personify mm. their their feelings for that song through that. Yeah, I don't know. And, so, and some singers are more like actors, right? Like they're, they're well, like Weird Al. Out. Let's take Weird Al as one extreme. He's not trying to, any song he's doing, he's not really trying to say, the song's moved me. I therefore want right. to create my own version of this, a cover. Uh, you know, it's like, no, I, I will, he, he's never going to go there, which is, which is a legitimate thing. But you might find out somebody else that says, you know what, I've, like, um, the, uh, I forget I wrote the song, uh, Angel from Montgomery. Uh, who's the guy who wrote that? John. I mean, many women have written this, the, the, the play Angel from Montgomery. Okay, don't know. It, it, it's from the, it's, 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 uh, Susan Chedesky, I can't pronounce it. Oh, name. yeah. Well, anyway, it's um, it's about a woman and going through this issue with in life and with her husband. It's like a man was able to write this thing that men don't experience, but in a way that connected with women and then women can sometimes play that in their own experience. It's it's kind of interesting how those experiences and how people sing and some people it comes out very haunting or others less so. And it's you know that reinterpreting, I guess, personally, how that connects with them. Right, right. Interesting. There's so many different audio lenses, right? You can listen to these these things for and, and, uh, appreciate on d- different levels. Right. So, uh, um, you know, I really like Ray Davis from the, from the kinks and 
a lot of his stories are character driven or his songs are character driven, right? Like he's right. Um, whereas there's other ones, musicians where you really feel like everything's personal, right? There, there's not, there's not a detached artist who's making an observation. It's just, um, pouring the, pouring the blood on the page, right? The, uh, Right. It's just but, right but, from. But they could just be pouring that stuff out, not really be anything tied other than this is just a fantasy I created in my head. But it feels real. It feels real. Yeah, that's a good point. Right. Like you, we don't know. Yeah. Because I think sometimes people, I know some artists have just been accused of things. They're like, no, I don't. This is not me. This is me creating a character. And I'm writing from the vantage point of a character. Right. Uh, that I, I can't remember who it was said that, but you're right. But it does. But I think when it feels authentic, that's when it kind of pierces through and becomes, I guess, I guess a, uh, I guess better art <laughs> than, than uh, you know, that's what good art is. I think is able to, for me, a perfect song is it, it, especially ones that have a story that will, when you listen to it, conveys that same feeling of the message they're trying to convey. Hmm. What what would be an example of that? Well, I I think uh, the um, I don't know for some reason Brandy is one that carries me away. I mean, I can imagine the the woman, the diner. I can imagine the sea. I mean, I can imagine the man who's got this passion and he's willing to just give it up. Like I don't care how much I like you, I cannot give this up. And it just it's it's weird. I I don't necessarily associate myself with that person, but I can feel that. So, uh, looking glass. Yeah. 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 Okay. So I think that is one of the most perfectly written pop songs. There is very few lyrics to it and it tells the whole story. Yeah. Right. Like it's, it's so well done. Um, uh, that is a, um, all time, all time favorite song for me. Um, and it is, it is just so the, the lyrics are so perfectly crafted. Well, and it does it to me every time I hear it. Yeah. Because I can say, well, the first time I heard it, it's like, no, every single time I am transported. <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. Like but that. how does he do it? I, or how do they do it? I don't know. Like, that's what's, what's magic. And I have to say that one does transcend generations. So that, that, uh, I, I, you know, my, my kids are fans of that song. We, we, we perform it. We play, we play that song. Um, and, uh, it, it's, it's, uh, it's fun for them. It's fun for me. Yeah, I think is it Greg Allman? Uh, is it bound? Is uh, it whipping pole? Whipping post. Uh, this post, yeah, that's others. another yeah. one that just like uh, it's just like it does feel like a person is just going through the struggle. It's yeah, like, that's gr- <laughs> even that's screaming. A- it's a point where it's just like, wow, this is you know very. It, it feels very real. And they do, in my opinion, right? Like they they do a great job of of letting the music support that, right? Because you have that big jam that comes in, and then it comes back to that. Some sometimes I feel, which yeah, Greg Allman sings with so much pain and passion, and it stops, and uh, right, it just all uh, serves the the whole purpose of uh, what the song's communicating. And I also don't know why Billie Jean by Michael Jackson is another one. I don't know what it is, but I always love that song. Even when I try to deny it and say, I don't like Michael Jackson, I really love <laughs> that song. Well, again, it's, an, it's another perfect, it's a, it's a perfect pop song, and it 
it tells us right it, yeah not a lot not a lot of lyrics but you get the whole the whole st- um, sort of story and song yeah so that's to me is is things that are perfect or i may like some songs more but those for whatever reason i consider like they really have whatever that magic is yeah uh, oh, i love it the, those are all excellent choices Oh, thank you. <laughs> How about yourself? What would be your top choices for transporting into the feeling of a song? Well, in some ways, right, it's a little bit hard to not... Um, there are songs that have so much um, nostalgia that it is hard to separate what I'm thinking of, like my own reactions, how much are created just for my own life because of yeah. that song versus what's actually in the song itself. So from a song that just, just moves me so much and is so, I think is, is a perfect song would be, um, Ooh Child, um, by the, um, was it the five stair steps? Um, so around the same time period as, as Brandy and it's, you know, just so perfectly sung, so perfectly played. And I picture, uh, I don't know if you ever saw the movie uh, Over the Edge. No. Uh, so, uh, I, think, I think it's 1979. It's about juvenile delinquency. And no, definitely Cal- not. Suburbs of California. I think it's Matt Dillon's first movie. Um, I, I And I'm not, I, I don't, movies go right through me. I don't really remember them that well, the way I remember music. But that one, in, in, there's an ending scene and the, the, the kids are getting, some of the kids are getting taken away to juvenile <laughs> detention of some sort and they're in a bus and they're looking back at their friends and that song's being played. And so I, I can't separate out that sort of image. Now that's, that is, that is interesting. So the impression is the song plus there's a narrative going on outside of that song, but those two combined in a way that just click. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So um, that that one really does it for me. Um, Suzanne by Leonard Cohen, this, the, the, the lyrics to it just moved me so much. And, uh, but again, I've, I've been listening to that song, you know, since, uh, I, I first heard it in probably 1978. I did, so I, it's been a constant in my life. So it's hard to, again, separate out. So I've become more Leonard Cohen, probably more later. I don't know that I'm a big fan of his, but to actually have been a, a, a to have enjoyed him at that point in your life, that's pretty, that's pretty astounding. Yeah. So um, my, my mom was a librarian at a public library and the library where she worked um, had some very young, hip librarians. And so the albums that they had that you could check out were really eclectic. And so in the late 70s, I was exposed to a lot of like just really cool stuff, just flipping through the records and uh, borrowing the headphones at the library and listening to them or bringing them home. Um, So I did get turned on to some things that normally people my age wouldn't have um, maybe gotten a chance to chance to hear. Um, but that, that, that's from his first album. So that's 1967 that it. Right. But I mean, I'm saying even at your age to be, because I mean, that's a different style of music that really wasn't 
It's not peppy. I'm not heard the song. I imagine it's not a peppy, happy song. It's not a it's rock. Yeah, it's not a rock. It's not a rock song, right? Yeah, it, it's not a rock song. Yeah, I remember you know hearing Nazareth for the first time. Like, oh yeah, it's like, <laughs> yeah, they're saying bad words. Ah, that's great. <laughs> exactly. Well, and that, and that in of itself was the appeal, right? Like, yeah, I couldn't believe when that came on. I couldn't, you know, you wouldn't believe it when like the uncensored version of who are you would come on the radio. Yeah. yeah. Like, I can't believe I can say that on the radio. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think I've heard it till much later where they obviously purposely uncensored it. Cause they'd had to choose a track that didn't have the censored. Right. But then again, I'm, I'm sure there's probably college stations and certain AM stations later that were able to get by with that. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and, and Pink Floyd Money, uh, or is, you know, when that would come on. Yeah, uh, yeah, Run Like Hell is another perfect one for me. Oh, interesting. Well, I think it's, I imagine a samurai running through the woods. I don't know why. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I, I guess, <laughs> and I imagine these battle. I don't know why I'm not a visual person, but for some reason there's some sort of samurai flick going on in my head when I hear that. Um, I And I don't know why. Maybe I was... Reading Lone Wolf and Cub one day when I was listening to that. I don't know. <laughs> so they, they must have cut the scenes that uh, Bob Geldof filmed of him yeah. doing the, uh, <laughs> as in the Samurai from the movie. Yeah, so I don't know. It's, it's, it's strange. And, and for gaming, I have, for a setting, I've, I've created like a soundtrack. And I think for, there's one adventure I wrote that I, I actually used a song for, but other than I haven't done that a lot. So, I mean, for you, in what ways does music inform your gaming? Yeah, so some of it is just getting me in the mood to play. So in The Court of the Crimson King by King Crimson um, is my ultimate get me in the mood to play a fantasy right. RPG. Um, me and um, one of the friends that I'm playing that I play still uh, to this day in our weekly gaming group when, you know, we were in high school, we, whenever we were going to go make some, um, role master characters. Right. And we, we throw that, we put that song on and now we're, we're totally in the mood. To... Those were heady days. I love those days. I wish I could go back to them. Yes. Let's play role master. Let's roll on these charts all night long and love it. I, I don't even know how much we ever actually played. We made a lot of characters, we had we would do have some fights right so we could roll the crits but like there was never a long standing campaign or anything like that but we oh man we love lo- love getting those books and they had you know they had the Tolkien yeah. license so uh, you know picking up those um source books for them uh, love I think what kids don't have these days that we did and that was uh we faced boredom and in the face of boredom, we did some stuff. Yeah. And I, 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 I don't, maybe it doesn't make us better, but I just think we don't have YouTube or cable TV or all these other things. All you've got is, you know, maybe three or four stations that come on the, on the TV and that's it. You're in a small town, figure something out. It's like, yeah, you, you had to be able to entertain yourselves. Yeah, so if it's if it's making role master characters all day long, that's a lot of fun. Oh yeah, yeah. love doing that. You know, it's the same with like superhero games. So, um, you know, we would 
um, you know, we were comic book fans, so you, let's let's go make up some characters, and then we just draw them, right? Like we, yeah. we wouldn't even play the game; we would just create the character, spend a ton of time getting, you know, playing champions or something, and getting everything perfectly balanced, spending all of our points, getting the right amount of uh, disadvantages, so that we could get the powers that we wanted. And and then but we wouldn't play; we would then just like, all right, well now let's draw draw all the characters we just made, and then we'll we'll do it again next time. So it's interesting because then, so really what was the mini game and not the game yeah. was the inspiration <laughs> to do another activity. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not really interested in playing champions. <laughs> I'm interested in making up characters and then we just do our own thing. Yeah. I, I, that was exactly right. We definitely played the champions character creation mini game way more often than we played champions. And, and same with Rollmaster. Well, I, I think if you were to do, uh, you know, Traveler character generator uh, generation, you could come up with all sorts of stories. <laughs> Absolutely. How did he die? I don't know. Three terms. Why did he even? Why did he risk it? I don't know. We got to figure this out. <laughs> exactly. I, you know, another game like that was. Um, I don't know if you ever played uh, Daredevils. No, uh, I've, I've seen it. Never played it. Yes, yeah, so, um, that one also. You know, had like a life path. Um, uh, character creation me- mechanic to it, and it took place, you know, so it's a, it was like a pulpy type yeah. thing. So your character was uh, impacted by World War One in some way. So as you're doing the life path, one of the big parts you had to do is what, um, what what did you do during the war? So and it was all just you know stuff you'd roll, and based on what you got, you know that. So similar to Traveler, but that would determine, you know, kind of what, what's, you know, skills you got and things like that and uh, professions and different careers. That oh, so it wouldn't be like, I got scarred by mustard gas or I suffer PTSD. Not, not that level of detail. <laughs> you, you, we, we might come up with our own yeah. explanations for why we, you know, after the war we became, you know, whatever our next career was. Yeah. And, uh, but, it, you know, it wasn't that detailed. But I found it really like evocative. Like you, like you kind of finished the character creation, and you felt like, uh, yeah, I kind of see that guy, right? Like I, I, I can picture, picture him, and it, and it was just fun playing that mini game. Yeah, and I think there are a number of games that do that fairly well, and probably some less so. And but I think it's it's kind of interesting how, you know, for a lot of people that is a fun part is playing those mini games. For other people, it's not. Yeah, and I, and and I definitely like, um, in the same way from a music standpoint, like I like lots of genres for my role playing games. It's the same thing in terms of, like, I like light games, I like crunchy games, I like right. It's just, um, it's just kind of different moods, right? Like, so I wonder if people who like playing different systems are also the people who like hearing different styles of music. Oh, interesting. I don't know. Is there some sort of common character trait? Yeah, if you, somebody says somebody plays D and D all the time, and you can say, "What? What is your? You know, what do you listen to?" And it'll be like, "Yeah, age rock all the way, or whatever it may be." Uh, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll have to I'll have to delve into this next uh, in a, in a uh, you know when I'm at conventions, different things. Yeah, see if you could do some polling. Unfortunately, my uh, my ancestry dot com um, profile did not uh, describe any of that. It could tell me whether or not I was likely to like cilantro, but it didn't tell me if I was uh, 
I haven't seen one for uh, gaming preferences. So, so do you like cilantro? I do not. No, I. It, um, that that is my least favorite. I, I have the the full on reaction that uh, some the people who hate it. Have. Oh, really? Yes. So it it, it 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 does not. It neither smells nor tastes citrusy or however it's supposed to do to me. It is. It is rather disgusting to me. <laughs> Why am I eating dish soap? <laughs> yeah, I know, and that's what they'll they'll say is that it uh, that for people who don't like it, it's dish, but it is it's not a soap dish soap either to me. It's it's definitely worse than that. Uh, it's not like you have experience with dish soap. <laughs> I, no, <laughs> I tried Dawn. I tried Purell. <laughs> yeah. I promise you, it's worse than that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm more of a palm olive person myself, but uh, I can see, I can see the the comparisons. Yeah, it's it's interesting because uh, I I think that's pretty much gamers are they tend to be people who who love one thing and stay with it, and the same thing with music. And uh, I've noticed that as well. And where we just played everything and anything, and I still to this day love playing different different games. They provide different experiences. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, like we 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 do some stuff that's like you know I guess you call it OSR type style yeah. games, right? So we're rolling up the characters real quick. It's a, a, playing a, a low level deadly game, and um, and it's more player skill than character skill. And the answer is not on your character sheet and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So we definitely play that kind of stuff. But I mean, we we play. We've got a um, we've had a long running five E campaign. Though it's like you know, more like critical role style, right? Like we've got these characters that we were spent time creating and we're super invested in and they all have voices and um, they've been, you know, we've had amazing game sessions with that. And so it's, it's all, I, 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 I play more probably old style stuff just cause it's what I know, but um, it's all, all, all good to me. No, there's, and I think there, there are, you know, innovations and different games come up with new technologies. And it's, it's, and I think some technologies that are good get dropped, but, um, but you know what? Um, I always had the freedom to add those back in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and, and I like the mini game of, of reading new RPG books, right? Like the, the, the whole mini game of, uh, you know, pledging for something on Kickstarter and, getting it and reading it and putting it on the shelf and maybe you're, I don't get a chance to play it, but like no, no regrets for that either. Right. Like I, 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 it'll inform me in some, some way might inspire me. Um, That's why I tell myself and I look at, at the end of the year when I do my taxes uh, and I, I do report my, uh, my books uh, for, uh, for research purposes as my company, but I look at all that money. I'm like, I was supposed to cut back this year and I just spent a thousand dollars. Like who in her right mind is doing this? I'm glad I got a hobby that's producing money. Other my wife would be saying, why are you spending so much money? And I think I didn't spend that much money. And I look, and I'm like, I guess I did. Uh, <laughs> it didn't like, feel like it at the time, but yeah, it's like next year I'll be better. And then all of a sudden, uh, Coriolis has come out of the new set and somebody else has got something to do. I'm like, Stop it, people. Stop producing cool stuff. 
<laughs> yeah, you can. It, it's tough, right? Because it all sounds great, so you want it, and and there's there's a little bit of completionist um, to drive for some of these things. Like, uh, you know, there's a new one for this one. I got all the other ones. I want. Yeah, I yeah. keep going. <laughs> I don't want to be missing one. Yeah, I like even the um, the autarks. Um, um, for the um, can't believe I forgot it. It's um, Adventure Conqueror King. Yeah, second edition. Wasn't going to buy it. Wasn't going to buy it. Then it's like then they start talking about all these tables and guidance for you know for making creatures and different things. It's like, well, that might be useful for bestiaries, and that might be useful for this, and it might be useful for that. And, and I'll, I'll get it, but I'm sure when I get it, it's going to require you know, 12 spreadsheets and uh, <laughs> not be useful, but uh, it's like, yeah, I guess I'm buying it after all. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> that, that'll be on next year's. Uh, <laughs> uh, my, my, son, my son bought a board game and he bought all the, the stuff that came with it, all the add-ons. This was during the COVID years. They're finally fulfilling. Backer kit, um, did the backer kit. Eighty dollars in shipping. Oh man! <laughs> it's like I had the money back then because I don't have quite that money. I mean, oh, you can no. afford it, but it's just like <laughs> it's like <laughs> yeah. The board game stuff can get. I mean, shipping's expensive these days, anyways. But like, you can get some pretty heavy shipments with uh, yeah board game kickstarters. Yeah. So uh, so there's always that. So yeah, it uh, it's. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot of other exciting things uh, coming on the horizon, you know, with, with everybody. It seems like even like Goodman Games just seems to be on a tear as well. I'm, I'm not quite so invested in, in a lot of their stuff, but they, they really seem to be doing a good job with, especially the most recent, the, uh, the Purple Planet uh, Kickstarter. Yeah, that's very cool. Like the way that they've uh, tied in um, multiple, like quite a few third-party publishers doing purple planet materials at the exact same time. So it's like a set of uh, crowdfunding campaigns all going on concurrently and setting up rewards for people who pledge for multiple ones, right? So if you're pledging for both the Goodman Games one, but then some of these other third-party ones, then you get additional, you know, perks of some sort. Uh, in what you get, which is again, I think another example of just the way that they're they're very supportive of their third party oh, yeah. publishers. It's it's really great. So I would like to be interested in how that um, worked out for everybody. I know James Raggi did something similar a long time ago, and it, it it was not good. Oh, really? Well, he said, "Okay, I've got ten titles. The ones that fund, you know, we'll we'll do, and the ones that don't, we'll drop." But I think it just it just um, watered everything down and it didn't, mm. you know, have the effect that I think he was hoping for. One thing that maybe was he, was it just different authors, but he was publishing them? Yes. So I think one thing that's a little bit different here, right. Is that there are other Goodman games is only publishing their part. And then each of these other ones are published by other, right. So but they're all their individual. Right. But I mean, as, as far as them going, doing this, they're competing against everybody else. And I don't know for them if it works oh, I, out I better or saying. worse. I see what you're saying. Yeah, I don't know. Because you're on the tail end of, you're an add-on. You're not the main thing. Right. Or I guess you could be the main. I don't know. Yeah, I guess if, if, the, if those incentives are, I guess, compelling enough, maybe that offsets 
the, the uh, you know, you're getting people who would buy that wouldn't normally buy your part to it just to fill out their well, the big card. Goodman Games is, I mean, they've got their own community and their behavior, their community is probably different than a lot of other communities. Right. So, so it, and so I, it, it's not the same, but it still kind of made me wonder if that was going to be a, how that's going to work overall for all those uh, smaller publishers. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, I don't know. You know, and they did, you know, they were coming off the, uh, they did, Support uh, sponsored with backer kit they had that indie RPG um, summit uh, in January, which I thought was really good and had um, definitely got some added to my education on this on this industry that I've somehow found myself in. Yeah, I I, I was very because um, I paid for the the fifty dollars for the whatever whatever that was. Yep, to get the third day and the. It, recordings yeah so the problem i had and um was is you know trying to stream it from my phone some things worked well for streaming the audio but when i tried doing the video it wasn't working with my tv but i I ended up Uh, downloading them all so i need to try that out again but there was i think there was a number of of uh very good um panels and it was well worth the $50. Some of them I didn't care for as much. I think the problem I had with some of them is I would have liked to have an hour of somebody speaking directly to their experiences rather than kind of mobile people just kind of chit-chatting. And right, it's right. Like, but I think overall for $50, I've got $50, more than $50 worth of value in stuff, and especially for um, – I think one of the ones I need to listen to or watch is the one for drive through RPG. And I do not utilize that platform like I should. Yeah, it was. I, I thought uh, some of the ones I really enjoyed were ones that broke down their different revenue streams uh, through the different um, platforms. So um, the 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 lazy DM, um, Mike Shay. Yeah, I've not listened to. It. I've I've heard him on podcast, but I did not hear his episode or his whatever that's called yeah yeah his, his session it was very, he was very forthcoming and and just kind of talking about the percentage that he gets from his different um i, I don't know use revenue but revenue seems right so so he's got drive through rpg and he's got his patreon and he's got his youtube channel and he's um has his a mailing list and right he's and he kind of mapped out sort of how he sees each one feeding into each other and percent of revenue that comes from each. And there's another one where people who had Patreons and YouTube channels and had, and uh, had Shopify websites versus drive through RPG. And they broke down, how, you know, what, which, how much each of those contributed to the overall pie. And I thought that was very interesting. Yeah. I'd be interested in seeing that. Uh, I've found that, since I've been putting stuff regularly on drive-through, it, it tends to, it actually produce, it gives me better results than I would have thought. Mm. And I, I do have a website and the revenue I get from that mostly pays for it more than pays for a website, but it's not a lot. So it's okay. at least it's uh, it's not lucrative, but then I don't have a newsletter. I mean, th- there's a lot of things for being, for me being so socially uh, silent 
uh, I'm I'm just impressed that I'm able to get what I am able to get. <laughs> you know, they're just throwing things up. And, and I've heard you talk on some of your other podcasts, right? Like the, you know, you've got some, at some point would want this to be something that isn't your, uh, could be your, it's like a it retirement would be job, nice. right? <laughs> I don't think it's going to be possible. So I, so I, I haven't fully done the taxes, but I probably made about $10,000 last year. And that's with five Kickstarters generating like, I think it was over $30,000. Hmm. So it's not bad, but I've also done five Kickstarters. So if I double that, can I support 10 Kickstarters? Probably not. <laughs> it's like, nobody's going to, it's bad enough. I'm thinking about doing, you know, more than five, but then, then the thing is, well, I need to, to get the, the uh, cost per pledge uh, or the, the backing per pledge up and then, and don't lose any subscribers mm-hmm. or our backers. backers. So it's yeah. like, it starts turning into this, like, I don't know. It's a nice thought. Um, but I don't know short of me coming up with a, let's say coming up with my own, like say rule book for a game system and then, then having to publish for it on a timely basis, I don't know. I think making $30,000 or more is, is, is going to be a, take a lot. Mm-hmm. And some of the, ask, the parts that you're doing are hard to scale up, right? So like you're saying, it's, you can't, it's hard to just can't keep doubling and tripling the number of Kickstarters you do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so then, you know, it, it, it becomes a different thing. So the other thing I found is this year... So you, you, it's what you're trying to do as a as when you have a um, you're trying to sell things um, you're trying to find patterns you're trying to find trends trying to find and it's 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 not easy and you have to you have to put out a lot of material before you can start seeing those things right. so it's Kickstarter's um, in a sense they kept doing uh, less and less as far as uh, even number four was, I think the, like one of the lowest uh, of the Kickstarters for Gary's appendix. But all of a sudden the one in February is doing fine. It's doing kind of on par where I was before. So now is it time of year? Yeah. (laughs) Is it just, you know, I was at the point where do I do, I've been doing Gary's Appendix three times a year. Do I do I scale it back to twice a year? Am I doing it too much? Because, you know, I'm just coming off of one in December. Is this too soon? You know, do I try and put something else in to see if, you know, it, it's it's hard uh, to know. And and you have a limited amount of time. You know, yeah. it, like where do you put your energies? And the way you're doing it, right, you're, you're paying writers and, artists to do it so you you have some costs yes. that you have to factor in as you're doing these you know even if you think of them as experiments there to get more data it's a lot of uh you've got you got some costs that you got have to earn back yeah it's in general it's about three thousand dollars is a break-even point for me okay and then then and then, so like if I make $4,000, that doesn't mean I make $1,000 in profit. It, it might just be a few hundred dollars in profit. The margins get better for me the higher it goes. Right. 
You know, so like if I have two, if I have 10 Kickstarters at, at, at $3,000, I don't make any money. If I have one Kickstarter at $10,000 or at $30,000, uh, uh, then I make, you know, there's a considerable amount of money. So it's, it's, it gets weird and it, the way it scales, it, it's complicated. And so, you know, it comes down to where you want to put your energies, where you put your resources and what you have available to you. But you need right. to have money in order to be able to pay. Well, unless you kickstart first. But my recommendation is, you know, not, you know, pay people up there. front. Yeah, I pay people up front before I kickstart. So all the writers, all the artists have been paid for. Um, I just haven't been paid. Right. Well, well, clearly the data is showing for you that you need to do fewer of them and have them just be huge successes. There so you go. Now you, you just need to figure <laughs> out how to do that. Well, what's interesting, too, is like you can look at Kickstarters and you can also look at some that make a lot of money or they generate a lot of pledges. But when you start looking at the math, you know, it's like it may not be that they that they did that well. Right, right. Was it really profitable, even though it was a lot of yes. re- revenue? It may not have actually been profitable. Right, because $50,000 may seem like a lot, but then when you, you know, like um, I didn't back it, but Dragon Slayer by Greg uh, Gillespie. Gillespie, I can't sound his name right. Even though I did a layout for one of his books. Um, he, I can't remember what he, what he finally funded at. It might have been like, it was like $40,000, but... He's got a lot of art. He paid for a lot of mm. art. And it's like, you know, even if you, you can get it as low as $50 per piece, you know, when you have that much art, it, it adds up pretty quickly. And then editors and all this other stuff, and then buying the books and shipping, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot. Yeah, it seems like, I mean, the... the, the... The art economics are, seem to be tough for everybody, right? Like it's tough for the, the in your case, right, the publisher, right? Because you there seems to be an expectation of quantity and quality of art. And yes. As a consumer, I I have that same expectation, right? I agree. I love the art, right? Like when you get a great looking zine, right? It's so cool. <laughs> yeah. So then you have to as as a as a publisher, you have to look at like like even like you know, do I pay how much do I pay for this cover and will it give me the, the rate of return? And, you know, it sounds like it's just straight economics at OMB, but you just have a limit on a budget. And, you know, there's a point where it's like, I need to do better than break even. Right. For me to continue doing things. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to always be, I guess, <clears throat> making those decisions, right? It's a, it's a compromise. Yeah, it is, and I think it's just um, yeah, and trying different things. But are you are you planning on putting out more of your more zines, more adventures? Yeah, so I'm I'm working on the second zine, and it's taken me uh, longer than I expected. One because I started doing this newsletter and podcast, which is <laughs> sucking up all of my free time, um, my my discretionary time that uh, I would normally have been working on it, and but I. I I really enjoy, obviously the music is very important to me. I wanted to have um, something that I, I could research as, as much as I want to, because it's that's a big fun part to me. So I do have uh, in progress the next zine. It's going to be 
one that um, from a music standpoint has largely influenced by both an older band and a contemporary band. So it's uh, Jethro Tull and uh, the band Green Lung, which is a um, current kind of... Um, people would overgeneralize and call them like a stoner band, but they're a UK band that heavily influenced by like folk horror, um, uh, you know, movies and um, things like that. And both of uh, both Jethro Tull and Green Lung were uh, wrote material that was influenced by the same not, uh, book, a book on myths and legends uh, in the UK that was, a Reader's Digest published book in like the 1970s. And so Isn't that crazy? this connection between the, the <laughs> two of them. And so uh, so I'm calling it, this, this is my uh, aqua green lung uh, issue uh, to kind of combine aqua lung with Jethro Tell song and green lung the band. And uh, I've got content that I'm writing that's um, along those lines. But uh, I'm not rushing it. Like, uh, um, it's another one that it, I, I want to be very happy with it, have it totally done, have it be the quality that I'm really aiming for, that it's got, I'm still doing the, the music magazine parody stuff for it as well. And um, when it's done, is, this I will is not the main thing for you. No. I, so it sounds like the newsletter has turned to being. The I think thing. it. I think it it is. Um, it, it it has become the main thing. The podcast is becoming more of a thing, and uh, but it allows you to express more because it, it because you have to narrow your words and everything and craft it where you can if you have things you want to say. Yes, I, that's right. It, it, so, and I can. Uh, it, it's the it has more of the stuff that I am good at, and it has more of the stuff that I enjoy doing. So for the there's I don't want to say this in a way that um, would diminish anything else that's out there, but like for me personally, I am not interested in all the different music dungeons I can write, right? Like I don't, and I don't want to do anything that is sort of obvious, right? I want to do heavily researched things that are really um, aligned to the, the, the deep fans, the hardcore fans of those bands. um, No bell tour in the snow dog or. Well, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So you could do, you know, rush, right? So (laughs) if you were being commercial about it, rush is like the biggest has the most passionate fan base that overlaps with gamers. Okay, so there's Rush has passionate fans, and a lot of them play games. Um, but you know, like you could do Bytor and the Snow Dog and the Necromancer and stuff like that. And it's like it's just so obvious, right. and it's not like it's not interesting to me at all. To do, and I love Rush. I mean, I love right, right. I, I've um. I'm a very deep Rush fan, but I've, it, it's not going to do it. So there's, very, there's actually very few of these types of projects um, that I'm probably going to be interested in doing, whereas um, I'm, I keep not running out of things to just talk about in general 
the intersection of music and RPG. So I feel like that's a deeper well for me. Um, and, and I, and I do have more, both, I would say, um, experience and opportunities on the, and, and even connections on the music side than I do on the RPG side. So, you know, I've, I've been, I've got several ideas that really interest me that I want to expand more than that I can't cover in just the newsletter. Um, so to do a longer form thing that would be on a single topic, whether that's a, a you know, a more produced podcast episode, so not, not like an interview, but an actual right. presenting of information or a YouTube video that that's um, or a book and or a book. Th those are the things that um, I keep coming up with more and more things that I want to do in those areas than I have adventure ideas or, you know, uh, to do that. So I, I, I do think that the newsletter and the podcast and probably some videos are going to be the main thing. Well, to me, what's interesting, and I think things that people should consider is this started out with an idea for doing a, a some sort of RPG publication, mm -hmm. but then by going through that, you found really what you were looking for. That wasn't the main thing you were looking for, but it led you to what you're really looking for. Yeah. Uh, thank you for saying it that way. Yeah. It actually frames it for me uh, better than even how I've been thinking about it. That's exactly right. Um, and that's why I think people should pursue things because you don't know what can come out of it. Whether success or failure doesn't really matter, but the act of doing it opens you to new experiences, new people, new thinking, and may take you into directions that you never would have considered before. Yeah, you're exactly right, Jeff. And, and it's, um, I could not have gotten to this place if I hadn't gone down that path, right? Like that was the path I needed to go down yeah. to, to go through the discovery of, of this thing that um, when it's been just so rewarding to me, it's, I have so much fun writing the newsletter uh, and I've met so many like-minded souls <laughs> for having done that than I ever would have for, you know, really anything else. And um, the idea of continuing to just grow my uh, co personal community, not like capital C community, but just right. like my personal uh, set of connections that of people who I game and play, talk music with um, is so life enhancing uh, to me uh, that, it, and it's very energizing it's like a positive version of message in a bottle. <laughs> Instead of being a sad song, it's now it's like, oh, yeah, all these people are like, hey, hey, you know, That's identify. Right. Let's talk. That's right. <laughs> I, 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 I'm now getting my 100 million bottles washed up on the shore <laughs> of all these other people. It's like, I like music and games, too. Where have you been? <laughs> I think the thing, too, is it's easy to think all of us are able to, it's easy to fall into the trap of we're alone, but we're we're not. There are people out there that are like-minded. It's just a matter of, uh, you know, finding your tribe. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, um, Travis Miller, who, you know, you work with yeah. all the time, you know, he was the, I didn't know him. Um, I, I had heard him on your yeah. podcast, but I had, um, you know, when I first set up my, my my little critical hip parader twitter account and again i'm not doing hardly anything there but i just 
and, and put the Kickstarter out. Like he reached out right away, sent me a, a little direct message. And, uh, you know, and so then he was uh, first guest on the show and right and, and has recommended music for me that I've loved. And, and so, right, I've now, you know, met a person I wouldn't have met if I hadn't gone down this journey. He is a gem of a person. Yes, absolutely. He's um, absolutely. And uh, I, I feel thankful for having got to meet him through this. Yeah, yeah, it's it, it's kind of amazing the the people, the connections, and and it's you know you may not be we may not be like friends in the capital F uh, friends, but it's there is a connections that are made that are like you say very positive, and who knows where they, where they can lead. Yeah, and uh, ultimately that to go back to your point earlier, right? It, it, you know, we're only here a short time, and. Uh, and uh, some of us are longer into that journey than others, and so the, and, and we never and none of us know until it until we know when it's going to end. And you know, um, I'm at the point where I just want to spend time with uh, positive people who we share something in common, and uh, that's that's really all I I need to get out of life. My my wife's been through unbelievable sets of. Um, health situations. She's a cancer survivor. She's an eight time stroke survivor, a multiple brain surgery survivor. Um, I'm so thankful for every minute that I get to, that we get to have together. And, um, I, I, all I want to do is to just, uh, enjoy whatever time all of us have, uh, together. You're right. Cause you, you could lament, uh, you could, you know, more than a lot of us, the stuff you're going through, but you know, that's just wasting the time that you do have with somebody you love. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, she's, she's in some ways, you know, it was, a there's a, there's a blessing to everything. Right. And, uh, if you choose to take it. Right. And, um, we got to learn very early in our marriage because it's, it's been a very long journey. Um, how short, um, life is and how fragile it is um, that we've, we've said goodbye several times. Right. And, you know, it hasn't, we've had a miracle, you know, several miracles happen. Um, but it, 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 it helped our marriage, right? Like we, we don't have time for any stupid any stuff to argue about. Like we're so past that. Right. And it's just so appreciative to get to be, together and we don't you know it's just sharing the same space in the in a room together is all all we need so well i mean the thing is is you know you live with the you're aware of the reality that we all have right but we just don't realize it that's right you know my wife may not have this or that but who knows what as far as a car accident or stroke or you just don't things are out of your control and you know we we assume that things are going to be forever but uh, they're not. Yeah. We're not guaranteed anything. No. No. Uh, the only thing we're guaranteed is we won't be here forever. We will not <laughs> be here forever. <laughs> yep. And, uh, yeah, you so I just want to play, right? Just uh, <laughs> I don't, play, play good games, play good music, play yep. with the people you love. Exactly. I, I agree. I think it's probably... We'll, 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 we'll would have been a potentially downer note. We'll end on the positive note. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, so I, I, you know, as I mentioned, I'm a, I'm a fan of the show, so I've been so looking forward to for when you're going to tell me that we're about to hit the uh, space-time continuum. Okay. So. Matt, I think we're about ready to hit the space-time continuum. <laughs> I think you're right, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I really appreciate you coming on. It's been... Um, it's it's hard to tell how long how long uh you know these will go um and i usually try and find a good uh breaking point and i guess we kind of did after um over 2 hours um but uh i think it's only my 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 age and me getting older and needing to go to bed soon is probably the only thing that's uh, <laughs> the hindrance from us continuing we all of that well, it's been an absolute pleasure i, I very thankful for you having me on the show, and I'm so glad we got to talk face to face, Jeff. You know the the the, the funny thing is, I, I you know we didn't know each other before this, but I just uh, you're doing interesting things, and I thought you know what, it's got to be a good time having you on. So I I really wasn't sure, but it seems like almost everybody who's doing interesting things are interesting people to talk about or talk with, I should say. So anyway, thanks again, and um, I'll have to have you on sometime in the future. We'd love to do it. Thanks, Jeff. All right. Take care.